0: Hello listeners, it's going to take me a while to get used to saying that because you know I'm staring at a wall talking to nobody but I'm glad you're here, I'm glad there's listeners. (laughs) My name's Jolene and I can't really welcome you back because this is only the first episode but I would like to welcome you to Hometown Homicide. Um, You're probably here because like me you have an interest in true crime, maybe a slight obsession with the morbid and the curious, I guess. Um, but either way, I'm glad you're here. I appreciate you listening and thank you so much. I want to tell you a little bit about myself, just so that we're acquainted and maybe we can become friends. God knows I can use a few more friends that are into true crime, definitely. So... um I created this podcast because I am Welsh and I wanted to talk about cases from Wales that I know a lot of podcasts don't cover. And that's mainly because they don't really think of Wales, I guess. Like when you think of true crime, you think of serial killers and America and Bundy and Dharma and John Wayne Gacy. And you know, you think of big cases like Natalie Holloway and things like that. So. I know when a lot of these podcasts cover other cases, they are, of course, shedding light on missing persons cases that are very important, but mainly they will cover kind of their own territory, so I'm going to cover mine. So, if you didn't know, if you are in the US or anywhere else, uh, Wales is the little country that sticks off the side of England. We're a pretty cool country, we've got our own language, and we've got a dragon on our flag which no other country has so big up Wales (laughs) and um I don't actually speak fluent Welsh so please don't ask me to I wish I did but I went to an English speaking school and I speak English only I'm not very good with languages so you'll probably notice that as we go through and I stutter and say um and so and but a lot but we're just gonna ignore that because no one wants to talk about it (laughs) um So I got into true crime when I was very, very young. Probably too young to be knowing about a lot of these things. I started watching lots of horror films when I was really young. And around about 9 or 10 years old, my nan started giving me books on uh, different true crime cases, uh, child abuse cases, which were probably not age appropriate, but I appreciated it. I was a bit of a weird kid and it didn't really faze me. It was more just that I was intrigued by these horrific things that people could do and I just I wanted to know how people could do that I wanted to understand it um we did me and my nan watch uh NCIS together and Midsummer Murders which I know isn't the pinnacle of crime tv but it was our thing to do together and sadly my nan um did actually pass away about two months ago now and that was due to the coronavirus I don't want to get too much into it I just wanted to say a little something about her because she has been so important on this journey and she was really excited about this podcast even though she didn't really understand what it was. Um, She was really excited for me to be pursuing something that I am so passionate about so I just wanted to give her a little mention in there and I really miss her and I'm really sad that she's not going to hear this but I'm so happy that other people are going to be able to, and hopefully she's proud of me for doing this. (laughs) But moving on, um, I love listening to podcasts like Red Handed, Morbid, True Crime Obsessed, anything really that goes into depth, and also something where I can hear their personalities coming through a lot. And I just, I love Hannah and Saruti, and I love... Love, love, Patrick Hines and Gillian Pensafale. So if you haven't listened to any of those, go and listen to them because they're pretty great. Anna Elena and Ash as well, I have to mention them because um, I feel like Morbid and Red-Handed are kind of the podcast that inspired me. So give them a listen, shout out. <laughs> um, so today is May 25th, which is International Missing Children's Day. And in honour I guess of that day, I'm going to do a missing child case from Wales. So today we're going to be talking about Billy Davis who was 16 years old when he disappeared from his very small Welsh Valleys town 23 years ago. There's not a lot of answers, there's just a lot of questions and we're going to look into those and explore those today. So if that's something that you were interested in doing then stick around and we are going to get right into that now. was born on august the 21st 1980 and he was known as billy to his family and friends and i'm also going to call him that a lot of his um missing person pages and any articles refer to him as billy so we're just going to call him billy from this point on he lived in mountain ash uh, which is in the Cunning valley in south wales and he was the youngest of four children he had two older sisters called kelly and michelle and an older brother whose name i couldn't find out His parents got divorced when he was really young, so he did grow quite distant from his father over the years. But in turn, he was really close with his mother and all of his siblings as well. In a 2018 BBC interview, Michelle said that they were always there for one another. And in another interview on a source from the Free Library, his sister Kelly said that he would live with her for a time. And that she considered him like one of her own children. Billy's niece Anna described him as a brilliant character who loved to wind people up. (laughs) And it's really clear from the family-run Facebook page that's dedicated to Billy that he was really well-liked and popular and loved. Every year people still wish him happy birthday and they share a lot of stories about him. And they send him messages about how much they miss him and how much they want him to come home. And how much they just want him back. So he had left home on a few occasions. But he'd always let someone know where he was going. You know, teenagers do that kind of thing. I know a lot of teenagers when I was growing up, they would be like, Oh, I'm just staying here for the weekend because I just don't want to go home for a little while. Sometimes they just need a bit of space. And Billy was no exception to this. He um, wanted to join the army when he turned 17. And he would have been leaving school that summer, I believe. So that would have been when he could join the army. In the UK, you leave school at 16. So he had aspirations and he had goals in life, which makes it even more strange that he would just disappear when he had all these plans for himself. And sadly, he would never get to fulfil his dream. On Wednesday, the 19th of February, 1997... Billy was out with his friends. I do just need to note here that the um, reported date of the disappearance is the 18th and the 19th of February. But the most widely reported one is the 19th, including on his missing persons page. So I'm going to go with the 19th. Billy was in a car with an unknown number of friends. Just remember this for later because it is quite important. And one source claims that the car was linked to a burglary in the nearby town of Pontypreet, but there's no other sources to back this up and I couldn't find any police records of this, so this is speculation. But it was mentioned, so I thought it would be important to mention here. In the same 2018 BBC interview I mentioned earlier, Michelle says the police told the family to report Billy missing the day after the family made the initial discovery that Billy had not come home. But the police allowed the car that Billy was in to be reported missing that day. So it's quite weird, you know, you would think that the car would be less important than the person. But, you know, it may be just because Billy had been known to leave home of his own accord on the occasion. And also because in the UK you are legally allowed to leave home at 16, that potentially the police just saw it as, well, he's just coming into his young adulthood and he's just gone off for a bit. So maybe that's the reason why. But even then, the family knew better. They knew that there was something wrong and the police should have listened to that because who knows someone better than their own family? This may also be the cause of the discrepancy in the date where it's both the 18th and the 19th. So just take the dates with a slight pinch of salt because I'm not really sure what is going on there. There is a little bit of confusion and I couldn't really clear it up. I know that... Being 16 years old, you may not consider someone a child anymore. I know at 16 I wouldn't consider myself an adult. So that's why I do consider Billy to be a missing child. Um, he would have still been in school, to my knowledge, because he was 16, coming up to 17. I'm pretty sure he would either have just left school or would still be in his last year of school. Um, But he wasn't financially independent nobody mentioned him having any sort of job or anything and nobody said that he could have supported himself financially had he chosen to run away so I just don't think that's an option for him and like I said his family just knew there was just something wrong this wasn't right Billy had never just gone off and not told anyone where he was before he'd never left them worrying about where he was because he loved his siblings and he loved his mother and He wouldn't want to leave them in the dark. They all said that. So it is interesting that the police didn't want to take this missing person case straight away. It is a little bit questionable. I did find a clip from that BBC interview with Michelle that I have mentioned a few times where she describes telling Billy's mother, Jennifer, that Billy is missing. So I'll play that for you now. By that point then, I knew I had to go um, up to my mother's and tell my mother that Billy was missing. Um, I went up and my mother just broke down crying because she was convinced that something had happened to him and he was dead. She said she felt, uh, being a mother, that she felt that something was wrong. She knew something was wrong before I went there. She said she just had a gut feeling Mm. that something had happened, but she didn't know what. And when I told her, she said, yeah, she said he's gone. So there's no estimated time of disappearance that I could find. Um, everything just says that it was night time and that Billy went out at night, so I'm just going to say late evening, night time, but there isn't actually an official one that I could find. The widely reported story that the police always stick with and also the media seems to stick with as well is always the same, despite the fact that the witness... ...who gave this account, changed his story over the years... ...but they never seem to mention these changes. I was told this by the family themselves. So the witness, I'm going to call him Jack... ...because I don't know his real name... ...so we're just going to use a pseudonym for him. So Billy was in the car with Jack and other friends. Again, that's important. Just remember that there were other people there. Okay. <laughs> um, they left the car abandoned... ...near the banks of River Cunnan in Penrick-Iber... That night, the river cannon was on red alert for flooding. So I'll talk a bit more about that in a moment. Um, According to Jack, he and Billy got into the river and swam across it, but Jack lost sight of Billy. He last saw Billy near the banking on the other side of the river, and this is the last known sighting of Billy Davis. Um, There's a lot to unpack about this account, only because there's so many different things involved in it. So, I'm going to talk first about the River Cunnan, just so that we've got an understanding of the setting and the place. And then that'll kind of bring about some other issues that we need to discuss as well. So, the River Cunnan is 39.8 miles long, and its source is near Pendarin. It's one of the largest tributaries of the River Taff, which is like the main river in South Wales. And it meets the Taff in a town called Abercunnan. So the River Taft then flows down through Cardiff and surrounding counties and it enters Cardiff Bay and goes out into the Severn Estuary which is between uh, Wales and England and then that obviously leads out to the sea. Both uh, the River Cunnan and the River Taft flow through rural and urban areas in South Wales including Pontypreth and areas in Cardiff County. It's surrounded by loads of walking routes which are taken regularly by joggers and dog walkers. You know, it's kind of that old cliche that Dog walkers and joggers find things, but sadly they they didn't in this instance. Um, There's many points of visibility where you can see the river from roads, pathways and walking routes. I know if you drive through the middle of Pontypeth, you can literally see the river there because it's in the centre of the town. Um, And on red flood alert, the River Cunnan is actually listed as a danger to life. So we had recent floods in Wales right at the start of the year and the river Cunnan was on red flood alert then, and it literally burst its banks, and it just would have been impossible to swim across. Nobody could get near it. The floods literally, like, drove people out of their homes, and people had to, like, go and stay in hotels and things because they just couldn't stay in their houses because there was so much water everywhere. So it's really hard to imagine that a river on red flood alert, like the Cunnan was, would be accessible to two teenage boys, and two teenage boys would be able to swim across it. This is also especially s- strange and difficult to believe for Billy because one, he couldn't swim and two, he was completely petrified of water. I can't really imagine being absolutely deathly afraid of water and swimming across a river that is on a flood alert, like a river that is rushing and is pretty deep and you're just like, okay, I'm going to swim across it. Thing is, I do have a 16-year-old brother, and I did ask him about it, like, would you do it if your friends were daring you to? And he said, well, maybe, but not if I was terrified of water, and also it's kind of just a stupid thing anyway. Like, even peer pressure wouldn't really convince someone to do that, so that's why I find it quite hard to believe Jack's story, for one. The police's theory, going off Jack's original account, is that Billy was swept away by the river and drowned. And in a Wales Online article from 2008, it stated that the South Wales Police deployed helicopters, heat-seeking equipment, a sub-aqua team and specially trained sniffer dogs to search for Billy, but no body and no evidence was ever recovered. So... Let's look at the police's theory as well, just to see what happens to a body in water so we can understand how a body would behave in water and, you know, we've got a bit more of an idea of what could have happened if Billy had, unfortunately, been swept away and did drown in the river. I will give a little trigger warning here because there will be a little bit of discussion about decomposition. So if you are a bit uncomfortable with that, just skip forward a couple of minutes. It won't be too long, I promise. So I am no expert, I need to tell you this now, I'm not an expert in this. I'm an English and creative writing, well, almost graduate, so I, I don't have any experience in this, but I did do a lot of research into it to make sure I was giving you guys as accurate of a representation and as accurate information as I could find. So I did watch a lecture given by Professor Carolyn Roberts at Gresham College in 2015, And this was called A Body in the River, The Applications of Environmental Science in Murder Investigation. And it's really interesting actually. So if you do want to watch it yourself, it's about an hour and 15 minutes long and it's on, I found it on YouTube, but it will be linked in the notes down below and on the Hometown Homicide website if you are interested in watching it in depth. But I've just kind of condensed it all down and picked out the points that are most vital to talking about Billy's case. So the way bodies behave in water depends on variables such as the clothing the person is wearing, their size, the velocity of the water and the temperatures of the water. When the body enters the water it will sink to the depths and rest on the riverbed. It will move depending on you know kind of how how light the body is, how fast the waters is flowing, things like that but It just is quite hard to predict, just it depends on the specific circumstances involved. Um as the body decomposes, gases will form in the chest and like the torso area where there are cavities and space for gas to form. And then skeletonization can take either weeks or months. And again, this depends on those variables I mentioned earlier. Every case is different. every body and every body of water is different, so it is quite a science to work all this out, and it is quite interesting too but during a flood, which was the case with Billy, the velocity of the water is slow near the river bed, and the peak is at the surface, so kinda of like if you look at a river when it's rushing and flooding all that rush at the top isn't actually present at the bottom; it is quite slow moving at the bottom, and most of the force is at the top of the river. ...or at the top of the water, I should say. So the body will go down to the riverbed... ...and as the water flows over it... ...the gases that form in the torso will make the body start to float... ...and then the flow of the water will pull the body up and start moving it. But how far the body travels is really hard to predict... ...as it depends on the specific circumstances of the water and the body that is in it. It may be stopped by obstacles such as rocks or debris... And it may get stuck on the riverbed or things like that, depending on, you know, what's going on in the river. Once the body decays, the gases are released from the chest area and the remains will settle on the bed of the river or behind an obstacle or sometimes even embedded in the riverbank. The example case that was given in, well, one of the example cases that was given, that I thought was most kind of pertinent to Billy's case, was a woman who was thought to have fallen into the River Ouse in Yorkshire in 2008. Her remains were found in 2013, and this was after different instances of flooding. Her body was still recovered, and it was still in the same stretch of water. It is quite an interesting read, so I have um, a few links in the description and in on the website if you do want to read about her case I just don't want to get too much into it right now. But the most important thing I took from this was that her body was still able to be recovered four and a half years after she disappeared. So if we go off something that happened to her body, even though the circumstances are quite different, she, well, her body survived different instances of flooding and she was still able to be found. So it does make me question, like, if, Billy's body had gone into the water, would his remains be in that river still? There is a question of maybe it could have gone out to the taff and then even further out into Cardiff Bay and beyond because of the flooding and the force of the water. But that's a very, very long stretch of river to push a body along, especially when all this stuff is happening to it. And there's probably a lot of debris and things in the river that would stop it. I know there's a few rocks and, like, you know, idiots pushed like, Trolleys into the river and things that it could get caught on. So, I, I find it hard to believe that it could go all the way out to the bay. And even then, the bay is man-made, so wouldn't it just stay in the bay because there isn't a lot of exits and entrances? And people will probably see it because there's loads of boats there all the time. But like I said, I'm not an expert. This is just kind of my speculation. There have also been numerous instances of drowning in the river Cunnan where bodies have been recovered. So it is quite hard to predict what would have happened to Billy's body. But there are a lot of questions around, well, would he have stayed in the river if he was in there? And a lot of a lot of these things point to, yes, he probably would have. But I don't know how far the police searched. I don't know how long they searched for. So maybe they just didn't search far enough or for long enough to find him. But... I couldn't find that information anyway, so I'm not too sure on that part. Although the police did search in the initial first few weeks of Billy's disappearance, most of the investigation from that point on was kind of done by Billy's own family. Jack's story changed multiple times over the years, and the family just felt like they never really got the truth out of him. And he did pass away a few years ago, so there's just no way to learn any more information from him. And unless he told someone something or wrote something down, then we just aren't going to get any more from that account. And we just have to take what he said and go off that. I did mention that there were other friends in the car, but there's no source that seems to report on them. And Billy's family didn't mention them to me when I spoke to them. So I don't know if the police ever interviewed them or if they just don't know who else was in the car because... You know, if they were involved in this burglary, like this one source did say, they're probably not going to want to come forward. But even then, if your friend is missing and you're spending enough time with them that you're like out in cars with them and things, I thought they would want to come forward. So there is a little bit of question around the friends as to why they're not coming forward and even who they are, because I just couldn't find any information about it at all. If we theorise that there were five seats in the car, two of them taken by Billy and Jack, that leaves up to three other potential witnesses that might hold a tiny bit of information that could change the entire case. Did they see Billy and Jack go together into the river to back up Jack's story? Did Billy go in a different direction or did he get out of the car sooner? Did he leave sooner? Like, there's just so many questions that they might think are completely insignificant, but could actually answer a lot of things and could actually... Give some weight to Jack's story or completely contradict that, bleh, good God or completely contradict Jack's story. One source online did state that four years after Billy's disappearance there were remains found in a garden three miles from Billy's home and that there were hopes that this would bring the family some answers. Billy's sister Kelly said in the article which was found on the I want the police to find him. Whether he is dead or alive, although I don't know how I could cope if it turned out to be him. The area had been developed from rural land in the 1990s and the locals talked about people using the woods to take their own lives before this was built into kind of an urban area and their bodies were always recovered. So it is speculation as to whether or not this was just a person who had sadly gone and taken their own life. The remains were found not to be Billy's and once again the family were left wondering where he was. Billy's family, in their search for him, did find a security guard who was on duty that night in Kellyn School, which was on Billy's route home. When his family spoke to the security guard's wife, because the security guard is sadly no longer with us, she told them that he had had a mental breakdown the night of Billy's disappearance, and his wife actually believes that he saw something happen that night that caused it. And could that be something that happened to Billy? And even if it was just seeing Billy drowning, that could be enough to send someone over the edge like that, that could be enough to damage someone so badly. But when the But when Billy's family took this to the police, they were given permission to investigate the security guard's mental health files, but nothing then came of it. So once again, Billy's family were left with no answers, even though they were giving the police so much information. So the last lead that the family received was two years ago. A man who was completely unknown to the family posted on Facebook that Billy had been murdered. And he said that the people involved in this alleged murder were conspiring with the corrupt police to cover it up. When the family reported the Facebook post, the police kind of just brushed it off as the man being mentally unstable and therefore unreliable. Now I do understand that the police have to look into these things and they may have just found that there was absolutely no basis in this post at all. But also just being mentally unstable to me is quite a it's quite sticky ground to walk across because you can't just say, oh well he has mental health issues, so therefore he's lying. Like, he might be telling the truth. I know that some mental health issues cause paranoia and things, which may be why he posted this, and it may just be that he was taking in this information about Billy's disappearance and this is kind of the outcome. But also, you can't just completely disregard it unless they had proof, but they never really brought out that proof. So there's just a lot of dead ends here that the police are kind of just leaving... Open to interpretation by people that are reading the sources and things. When they discovered this Facebook post... And when they were kind of investigating it... Michelle and Anna, which is Billy's sister and his niece... Went to the police station to personally speak to the police officer... Who was in charge of Billy's case. And they were kept waiting for two hours. And then they were told that there was a conference call... And that they'd be contacted soon. Two years later... Anna is still waiting for the police to get back to her after that. They never contacted her, and they just kind of left them in the dark, which is really, really bad on the police's part. There's such poor communication, and I can't imagine how Billy's family feel just being left to the wayside by the police like that. So the police were really active in searching for Billy in the first few weeks of his disappearance, The equipment they used would have been expensive and it would have been a lengthy process and you do have to commend them on that. They did search, but I don't know how thoroughly they searched. So there's a good... There's like a pro and a con there somewhere, I guess. But in the years since, Billy's family feel as though his case has been just completely overlooked. I do want to talk a little bit about South Wales Police now. So we've got a bit of an understanding of... Kind of the policing system in Wales and kind of the area they cover and things so we can understand that a bit more. So South Wales Police is one of the largest police forces in, in Wales. The statistics taken from the South Wales Police website say that they provide policing service to 1.3 million people, which is 42% of Wales's population. So their kind of an area covers the two largest cities in Wales, which is the capital city of Cardiff and Swansea City too. And they also police 63 of the 100 most deprived communities in Wales. The South Wales Police Force employs 3,000 police officers and 2,200 members of police staff. It's a massive operation. So they've got loads of cases covered, especially with Cardiff and Swansea. But does that then excuse... Cases like Billy's slipping through the gaps. I want to go back to the corruption that was alleged by the Facebook post that Billy's family reported, where the guy said that, paraphrasing, that there was people conspiring with the corrupt police force. Um, I want to talk about that a little bit because I don't want anyone to say, well, are they corrupt? And I don't want there to be any kind of questions there about that. So let's clear that up for a second. There have been instances of members of the South Wales Police Force being involved in crime. According to a 2018 Wales Online article, 10 serving police officers from the South Wales Police Force have been charged with offences such as sexual assault, breaking data protection, theft and driving under the influence of alcohol since 2013. Now, that does sound bad, and of course it is, but... 10 officers out of 3,000 that are employed is 0.3% of the police force. And even though it is the highest, the joint highest, I should say, the joint highest number of members of a police force being involved in criminal activity, it is also the biggest police force. So you would expect them to have a higher number if they've got more employees. So I don't really know how much basis that gives us to look at corruption when none of them are involved in corruption scandals. It is just criminal activity. But when we do talk about corruption crimes in South Wales Police, you can't forget about the case of the Cardiff Five, which took place in the late 1980s in Cardiff Bay, which at the time was known as Tiger Bay. This was under South Wales Police jurisdiction. Like I said, they cover Cardiff, so this was their police force. Three men were found guilty of the murder of Lynette White and two were acquitted in 1990. So, of the Cardiff Five, three went to prison and two got off. And then two years later, they won an appeal and years later, the real killer was found and brought to justice. So, these men were completely innocent. But what had happened was the police had kind of set their sights on these men and they... They did a lot to get these men into prison. There is a really, really interesting podcast series on it called Shreds, and that is available on most podcast platforms if you want to know more about the case, rather than my brief little overview that I'm doing right now. Definitely go and give that a listen. It is so, so interesting, so insightful, and it's shocking, honestly. So, when looking at this case of corruption there is definitely, definitely evidence of it happening here. According to BBC News, a six-year-long investigation led to eight former police officers being charged with perverting the course of justice, along with four other officers the following year. One quote from the article read, the police had moved away from investigating a murder and instead were busy trying to implicate people in that murder. When all the uh, accused police officers were not found guilty in a court of law... There was a public inquiry that investigated the 30 year long ordeal and it was it dubbed the Cardiff 5 the worst miscarriage of justice in the UK's criminal justice system. So whilst it cannot be said that South Wales Police Force has not in the past been involved in any instances of corruption or criminal offences. Today, the South Wales Police Force is an entity that has moved on with better legislation and has made an example of those who do wrong from within. And looking back at the time, which would have been 1997, this was after Lynette White's case, and those police officers specifically would have been working in Cardiff. They wouldn't have been working. The South Wales Police Force, even though it does cover all these areas, there are separate police stations within that. So the police station that would have been doing Billy's case would not have been working on the Lynette White case, so they would not have been the same police officers. I think it's really important to get that across. And I just haven't found any evidence that the allegation made by the Facebook post has any basis at all. The police would have had to have been conspiring with teenagers to keep them safe and to protect them from, you know, being brought to justice for Billy's alleged murder. And even though the Cardiff 5 case was where corruption really was seen by the South Wales Police. There's just no proof that they were involved in any corruption after this and there's just just no evidence of anything else after this and obviously they would have been hot on it then after the Lynette White case. They would have been looking for people to take down if they were involved in something like this, especially with all the bad press that came with it. So I just don't think that thinking that the... South Wales police force were involved in conspiring with these teenage kids who had potentially murdered their friend. I just don't think that it's it's something out of like a teenage drama. I just don't think it could have been real. But I do think that there are issues with Billy's case that do involve the police and lack of communication. And I also think that there is just a lack of evidence that the police themselves would be struggling with as well. If you have any information regarding Billy Davis, please contact the South Wales Police or missingpeople.org. Billy Davis was last seen on February the 19th 1997 in Perth, Kellen, Micklemorgan. He was 16 years old. His missing person reference number is 97-000999. If you can help Billy's family, please do so because they just want answers at this point. And... It is just awful to see a family go through something like this. It truly is. So if you can help them, then please just do it. Just be that person. It's been 23 years and they just need someone to come forward. But even though I don't think that there is corruption involved and I don't think that the police are purposely being negligent with this case... It is apparent that Billy's family feel that the police are just not making the time for Billy's case anymore. And, you know, they're made them they're making them wait more than two years to get back in contact with them. That's just not good enough. Like, surely that conference call is over by now. Surely someone could get in contact with them. They just need to be more on it. And I know that they do really, really good work within the community. And it's just so disappointing to see them let Billy's family down like this. No matter what truly happened to Billy, it does seem that the police do not have Billy's case at the forefront. And perhaps it's because of his age or the age of the case, and because it is a cold case now. But there's just a clear cla- a clear collapse? There's a clear lack of communication with the family, and it is just so unfair on them. They've had to go through losing Billy, and now they have to go through fighting for someone to look for Billy. And it must just be so, so difficult. Billy's niece Anna is more or less alone in fighting for justice for her uncle now. Sadly, Billy's mother Jennifer passed away and then one of his sisters Michelle and his brother Avall also passed away now. And they just, they had to leave this earth not knowing whatever happened to their little Billy and I can't imagine that kind of pain. I really can't. The police have no evidence other than Jack's original account and in order to move the case on, they do need a substantial lead. As much as I'm on at them about not communicating with the family, also you need to play devil's advocate and say that there is not a lot of evidence for them to go off anyway. So it's kind of both sides need help here. The police need to communicate and the public need to communicate as well. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to listen to Billy's case. I know it would mean a lot to his family to know that his story is getting out there again and that people are listening and people are thinking about him and maybe someone out there could help. So this podcast, Hometown Homicide, is going to be out every Monday from now on until the end of time i guess <laughs> and i am going to be covering many more welsh cases i have a few already that are in the works i'm not sure which one i'm going to be releasing next week it all just depends i am still working on university deadlines so i will keep you up to date as much as possible but next monday i will be back again with episode two of hometown homicide if you are listening on apple podcast i would really appreciate if you could leave a review and if you have any constructive criticism or any sort of comments or even praise, maybe <laughs> I would really appreciate that too. You can find me on twitter at h underscore h podcast and on instagram at hometown homicide pod and if you do want to eel eel <laughs> if you do want to email me any case suggestions or you know like I said any feedback, then you can do so um on hometown pod at gmail.com. Um, if you didn't have a chance to like, write all those down or search them or anything, they will be linked below as well. And also there is a website where I will list all of my sources and any other information will be on there too. But until then, I will see you guys next week. I mean, I will speak to you guys next week. <laughs> this is weird. I don't know how to do this. I'm talking to a wall. So <laughs> um, I will... Speak to you guys next week, and until then, stay safe.